I didn't realize that this was the the first Kirby that had the copy abilities. Cause like, I always thought that was his thing, like since the beginning. And so when I was like playing through and then reading up on some of the history of this, I was like, oh dang, I didn't realize this was the game that like started all of that. That's super cool. Hi, I'm Sean Douglas. I'm a journalist, playwright, teacher, and podcaster, and this is Kirby Conversations, a podcast about Kirby and Kirby-related topics. This is just a little preamble to introduce myself and the show, but I've loved Kirby games since I was a kid. Kirby Superstar is my favorite video game, and I can still remember playing it for the first time after renting it with my twin brother loosely around the time it came out. My background is as a theater journalist, and I used to spend my days recording podcast interviews and writing a lot of coverage of Broadway and regional theater, but during the pandemic, when there was suddenly a lot less theater to talk about, I started pivoting more toward video games. I've written for various video game outlets and taught online classes about podcasting, journalism, video game-inspired puzzles and escape rooms, and the history of Nintendo. And through them, I've been able to talk about Nintendo games and characters, including quite a lot of Kirby, with thousands of kids in countries all over the world. For this new show, Kirby Conversations, I'm on a team that includes two fantastic panelists and co-presenters. We have Bridget, the popular Kirby influencer and collector, and Kai Parker, also known online as Captain Dangerous, the incredibly talented toy and merchandise photographer who has worked with Nintendo, Pokemon, Good Smile, Critical Role, and others. Every two weeks, we'll go in-depth on some Kirby-related topic. Games, history, merchandise, and related media. We might also talk about other games that we think Kirby fans would like, or other games by HAL Laboratory, or Kirby's well-known creator, Masahiro Sakurai. Or, you know, whatever Kirby-related subjects we find ourselves interested in. But really, you do not have to be a Kirby super fan to listen to this show. This is a show for anyone who likes video games, or anyone who is curious how a Japanese character who arrived on the Game Boy in 1992 has since become such a well-known part of Western popular culture, a character whom I think can serve as a journalistic beat all of his own. Then, in the second part of every episode, we'll have a segment I'm calling The Second Act, where we'll go outside Kirby a bit to discuss other games and subjects on our minds. For this episode, we're looking back at 1993's Kirby's Adventure, an NES game that played not only a key role in Kirby's history, but also changed the course of HAL Laboratory as a company and helped advance the careers of some of Nintendo's most well-known creators today. Now with all that out of the way, let's bring in Bridget and Kai for episode one of Kirby Conversations. Well, hi everyone. I'm here with Bridget and Kai. How are you both doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, doing good. All right. Uh, now for this episode, um, we're going to be looking back at Kirby's Adventure. So we thought about like what order we'd want to talk about different Kirby games. And I think we all kind of felt like maybe starting just like right at the beginning and going in order was maybe a little too predictable. But we still wanted to look back on an earlier one. And Kirby's Adventure just seemed like a great place to start. Because it's one that establishes so many key things that we now just take kind of for granted as part of who Kirby is um, that weren't actually there from the beginning. So we'll look back over the history of the game and how it was received at the time and the role that it just kind of plays in the history of HAL Laboratory. And we've also been playing it again recently, so we'll talk about how it holds up nowadays too. But maybe we'll just start there. 
So, so Kai and Bridget, I know that we've all been playing Kirby's Adventure again. Uh, how did it feel playing Kirby's Adventure in 2023-2024? I mean, I still think it's just as cute and charming. Like it's it's been a really long time since I've even like played any of it. So going back through it, I was like, yep, this is just as cute as I remember. <laughs> Uh, I think it's still a very solid game with a lot of sensibilities that modern games have for platformers. And I found that it was still very much playable. I think other than some performance uh, issues where there's a bit, a bit of slowdown, it still just is incredibly impressive and it doesn't hamper how how fun it still is. Yeah, I think for a game that's 30 years old... Um, I feel like, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I feel like as much as, as the NES is a wonderful, important, you know, mon monumental system in the, in the history of video games, <laughs> some of those games are a little hard to go back to sometimes. Um, but Kirby's Adventure still feels like just such a, a smooth, like, you know, kind of modern experience in some regards. Uh, at least in the ways, at, at least for a game kind of of its time. Like I think it, for a for a game that came out on the NES after the Super Nintendo was already the current system, like I think it kind of holds its own against other Super Nintendo games to some degree. It does get a lot of that kind of choppy slowdown when there's a lot of stuff on the screen, which is maybe what you were alluding to. Yes. Yeah, like whenever you use spark ability, like everything just like, <laughs> grinding to a halt that's uh, uh it's funny because uh in uh, a link to the past the same thing would happen if you used one of your like special powers and there was a bunch going on it was like everything was kind of like moving and glitching in slow motion <laughs> yeah i think it's also the number of enemies on screen yeah because uh, the slowdown improves uh the, like the more enemies you kill and you're like oh well if i just get rid of them <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does become almost like part of the experience of playing the game after a while. Yeah, uh, it doesn't, um, for me, it doesn't uh, hinder how much I enjoy it. It is, you know, it is what it is. And there is, um, I, I don't I don't know if you, or you're familiar with the, uh, the 3DS had these 3D classics. Mm -hmm. And there was a Kirby's Adventure 3D classic that came out and it's, it removes a lot of that. But I think even regardless of, of that version, this one's still pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, um, not to start our conversation by talking about the negative points, uh, or maybe it's good that we get those out of the way first so we can talk about all the, all the other wonderful things about it. I wish that I could fly by just jumping repeatedly. Having to push yeah. up to fly <laughs> always feels just a little unnatural. Yeah, this is one where the up button is fly similar to the first game. Uh, yeah, that is that it takes some getting used to for sure. Uh, I'm one of those people that when I play Smash Brothers, the up is also just an automatic jump and I have to set the jump to another button. Oh, <laughs> I, also... I would do that too. <laughs> yeah, it's like I get I get why that was done, but I, I also prefer just having another another button. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess like once you get used to the way it controls, um, like compared to some like older NES games where the jumping was so rigid and there, there are certain things about it that where you can tell they're still kind of like learning how to make a video game. I mean, this is a game from 1993. It's really like peak NES. 
it's the largest of any NES cartridge. And it really does have a certain fluidity and just a certain beauty where you can really tell like, yeah, they really mastered this hardware and they're just squeezing everything they can get out of this, this aging console before finally moving on to the Super Nintendo. Yeah, that's incredibly impressive. And a lot of that is, yeah, it's a late console title. Uh, so they're really pushing it. And it's also, it is does have like the biggest um, uh, cartridge on the NES. And it looks amazing. There are things that happen late in the game that look really good um, and still look really good now, I think. I think the NES graphics actually en- enhance the charm of it for me. Yeah, you get those like parallax scrolling effects in some stages, and it even starts doing this sort of like faux 3D stuff. Like, oh yeah, it does. Now that yeah. I'm thinking about it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the butter building uh, area. It it is quite nice uh, on the NES. So getting getting some of the things that maybe haven't aged as well about the game out of the way, let's talk about all the good things about this game now, right? Where it's still really fun. And it's the the first Kirby game that has powers in it. So I didn't realize that this was the the first Kirby that had the copy abilities. Cause like I always thought that was his thing, like since the beginning. And so when I was like playing through and then reading up on some of the history of this, I was like, oh dang, I didn't realize this was the game that like started all of that. That's super cool. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably think like, oh, Kirby's thing from the beginning was to copy his enemies. Where before he just ate them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, when the premise, I guess, was always that it was about Kirby using the enemies was his original, um, Masahiro Sakurai's oh, original intention right. with it. Um, mm-hmm. And so the idea of powers came out of the idea of well, how else could you use the enemies beyond just turning them into like a projectile from your mouth. Uh, so Kai, when was the first time that you played Kirby's Adventure? Gosh, um... I played it a long time ago with my friend because I didn't actually own it. And I wasn't able to get super far into it because um, I didn't have the system at the time. I used to just play it with my friends. So I wasn't able to borrow it and only really was able to play it when I was over there. So, gosh, this is the first time I've been playing through it since I was like seven or eight or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a while for me too. Uh, Bridget, when was your first Kirby's Adventure? Uh, I want to say I was actually in high school. I didn't actually have Kirby's Adventure when I was young. Like, I had an NES. Like, I was one of those uh, folks. I mean, I didn't have an NES right when it launched um, because my family didn't quite have the the funds for for such a thing. But, like, once it was sort of more out of style, like, we get an NES. And we had all the other games like Mario 3, the Duck Hunt uh battle toads and, and things like that but i never actually had kirby's adventure which was shocking because like my favorite game one of my favorite games on the game boy was like kirby's dreamland which i loved i and i had no idea there was even like a kirby's game on the nes uh and then later i knew about it and a high school friend of mine owned a, a copy of the cartridge and let me borrow it and i had purchased an nes again and uh, I was able to finally beat it. I believe I was in high school at the time. So nice. Uh, yeah. Good. Like growing up, my brother and I had an NES, but we got it like, you know, well after sort of the NES's time was done. We got like the the new NES, like top loading one, but it was still like well after the SNES was a thing now. And we never had Kirby's Adventure. 
Um, but like, I knew that it was out there and I like, I really liked Superstar and like, I really liked Kirby games growing up, but like, it wasn't as accessible to go back to some of these games the same way that it is nowadays. I think I remember a friend of ours kind of describing what had happened in the Kirby game before Superstar. And then I didn't play through it all the way until college, but then I hadn't really played through it again since then. I think my first experience, I guess, with it would have been Nightmare in Dreamland, the remake for the Game Boy Advance. And it was very interesting playing through Kirby's Adventure again. And then I went back and played a little of Nightmare in Dreamland again, too, which looks great and is just, just kind of everything that you'd want a, a remake to do, smoothing off maybe some of those rougher edges. Um, although I still think like the NES version just has so much charm and has so much value just as its, you know, as its original form. But it's really nice having this other version that just has a little a little bit of that like quality of life enhancement that maybe the original doesn't have. Uh, yeah, there are some changes uh, between the two, mm -hmm. uh, some level stuff and some speed. Uh, and it's great. And it's got some other mini games in there as well. Uh, and it looks it does look good. Um, I'm partial to the originals. I tend to be partial to originals, but uh, I still think it's good. I love the enemies that come in different colors in in the uh, remake. It's it's nice to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you ever play Nightmare Dreamland, Kai? No, I have not. It sounds very interesting, though. I have a I have a whole list of Kirby games I'm wanting to to go through. Um, through spring and summer. So I'll, I'll catch up. <laughs> so nice. It's a nice way to spend the summer. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk a little about how this game got made. Because it, it actually plays a really interesting role in just the history of HAL Laboratory as a company. So they were facing bankruptcy. They had had a series of games that they had not recouped their losses from. And they were coming on a major loss from a game called Metal Slater Glory, uh, which I think that that game could be worth doing a whole episode about sometime, because I think it seems like a fascinating game that was super ambitious. Are you both familiar with Metal Slater Glory? Have you heard of this game? I heard of it, but I'm unfamiliar with how it plays. Yeah. I, I'm very interested in this, though. <laughs> so like Metal Slater Glory was this like really ambitious like manga sci-fi game and it's the largest Famicom cartridge. And oh, it wow. spent like years in development. And it just kind of flopped when it, when it actually came out. Like, I think it sold like quickly, but they just didn't sell like a lot of it. I think it's like, an, yeah, like it's like an adventure game. Like it's mostly text based, I believe. Um, but with some imagery, it's like a sci-fi story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was imagined to be just this like big epic thing, and I know they spent so much time on it. And then they they were like facing bankruptcy after they had this big game flop, and Nintendo had to come in and say like, okay, Hal, like we're gonna kind of bail you out here, but this is what we think you should do. And they they got them to appoint Satoru Iwata as president, and and he would go on, of course, to become a very famous you know president of Nintendo, you know, mm -hmm. at large. And uh, they worked out this thing where they're like, okay, like we gotta, we gotta get something out here that we can sell. So what can we produce quickly? Won't be super expensive. What can we get out in just like a few months? Uh, and so they decided to make something else for the, the NES, even though the Super Nintendo was already out. And they decided in a follow-up for Kirby's Dreamland. And in, in interviews and in like in his, on his YouTube channel, Sakurai talks about like how 
Like they maybe imagined just doing a NES version of Kirby's Dream Land or something. But it did end up being this this new game where Kirby could do new things. He now could take these powers from enemies. And the whole game was made in just like a matter of months. Um, it came out less than a year after Kirby's Dream Land did. And it ended up being a pretty big success. Like even though the NES was already, you know, kind of old news by this point. Not that people weren't still playing it. Not that great games weren't still coming out for it. But it comes out and it does pretty well. And it ends up being what HAL needed to kind of dig itself out of that hole. And without Kirby's Adventure, who knows what HAL would have become, you know, and all the things that HAL has, has since gone on to make, like Smash Brothers. Yeah, um, man, that's super cool. I did not know that. We we owe a lot of that to Kirby's Adventure. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a very interesting story because I, I also watched the, the Sakurai video on it. And he talks about them like putting stickers, the the you know the you know the banks or whatever for the computers during development. And he talks about how intense it was and it affected his stomach and everything. Oh goodness! Uh, so I think, yeah. So I think it was like some pressure also because of probably what it meant for for how. Yeah, it sounds like it was like all hands on deck, emergency game needed. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, this game just has such like an all-star list of people who are involved with it, right? Like Miyamoto was involved in this game, right? He's a producer on it. Um, Satoru Iwata, and then Masahiro Sakurai, of course, the creator of Kirby, um, was the director again. Yeah, Iwata did some programming for it, and he, he put little cute quirks in there, like he... I got this from the Shumplations uh, translation of an interview uh, with uh, Awada and Sakurai and other developers. And he's like, someone said, wouldn't it be cool if Kirby planted a flag when he beats the level and comes out of the door? And before you knew it, I had programmed it in myself. That is so adorable. From from just like, I always loved like that style, especially just like the, I don't know if what would it be, 8 or 16 bit. And I really love, especially in like indie games and stuff, a lot of them do like complicated games, but with like that really cute, um, like nostalgic uh, art style. And it's just, it ugh, it's like my favorite art style to use um, when I hang like little posters in Kirby's miniature bedroom. It's like that style is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's aged so well. Yeah, for sure. It still looks good. Kylie, do you have any miniatures that are like Kirby's Adventure themed or I in actually, that art style? I actually think I do. I'll have to dig through my massive pile of little Kirby minis, um, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I do. I know I have like a lot of the little um, like the the Gashapon capsules that are like I think Bandai makes them or Tomy, either one. But there's just like the cute little like terrariums that are like Kirby. And, you know, they're like, that's where I get the super teeny tiny Kirby figure. That's like uh, my Kirby figures figure. It's like Inception. <laughs> the Kirby's just get smaller. Um, but I think I do. I'll have to I'll have to dig through and look. Um, I have a lot of Waddle Dees that I do know. <laughs> In your house, there's some kind of closet that's like, do not open. And if you do, you just get like buried in like a pile of Kirby's. Uh, it's actually pretty close. If I if I stacked all of them, the, the ones that I have, it would be a pretty significant pile. <laughs> nice. So let's look back at what people were saying about Kirby's adventure at the time. 
Um, I think it's interesting how the press was a little all over the place. And I think that's also sort of the nature of games coverage in 1993 is that, you know, some sometimes they kind of mixed in a certain amount of speculation with the coverage, which not that we don't get that nowadays, but it was like an electronic gaming monthly, like for their review, they talk about it like Kirby and King Dedede team up and the duo takes on, you know, their new adventure. And it's like, well, that, that doesn't really happen in this game. <laughs> That's just wrong. Um, the review was very positive, though. And then they're actually a little more positive than Nintendo Power was at the time. So if we go back That's to Nintendo Power. So Nintendo Power uh, at the time was evaluating games on a few different categories. So they, um, they had a category for graphics, um, play control, challenge, and then theme and fun as its own category. And it was out of five, but looking back through these like 90s issues of Nintendo Power, kind of went through like some of the ones before this particular issue and um, after it. And they like really are pretty tough critics on a lot of things. Like it's hard to find anything that gets like more than a four in any category. But for Kirby's Adventure, they gave it a 3.5 out of five for graphics. Um, despite it being <laughs> the most sophisticated NES cartridge of any of them. Um, so that's 3.5. Uh, 3.5 for play control, a 4 for challenge, and a 4 for theme and fun. So that's actually a pretty good review. Uh, it's pretty strong, especially compared to a lot of the other ones. There is a game, uh, another NES title, right before it on the list in, in this issue, um, that did beat it with a 3.5, a 4, a 4, and a 4. Do you have any guesses what this game was that came out at the same time? At the same time? Oh, wow. <laughs> is it a licensed game or anything like that? Uh, it is licensed. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know what came I, out that yeah, year. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Is it based, it's a movie game or? Uh, no. They might have been in some movies. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I well, know I don't know how I'm... you didn't get this, but it's the Incredible Crash Dummies. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> oh well, how could I forget oh, this, this classic? Wow, yeah. <laughs> my whole childhood was that game, man. <laughs> I yeah, I mean the Incredible Crash Test Dummies. That. 3.5 in graphics, 4 in everything else. Um, I did look up um, this game afterwards, and it's a very kind of middling NES platformer, I think, by by current standards. It, it looks to be okay, but... I mean, Kirby's Adventure is kind of a classic now. And yeah. I think by contemporary standards, <laughs> we would not maybe be quite as generous with the rest of <laughs> but, but I guess they were big in the early 90s. Okay, all right. Um, but I, I just found that very that. amusing. Um, and then um, then kind of in, in the other direction, um, in Game Pro, um, it got a perfect score. Oh, it wow. got fives all right. in all of its categories for graphics. Um, oh, what are these categories? It's um, graphics, sound, control, and fun factor. Gave it fives in all the categories. So for the most part, very critically well-received. And, uh, like, looking at the power charts in Nintendo Power 2, like, Kirby's Dreamland was still, like, hanging on. You know, it was still, you know, a popular game at the time. Um, so the first one was already doing well. And then you end up with two Kirby games on the power charts for a while. 
Um, Kirby's Adventure never seemed to really break through the same way Kirby's Dream Land did. Um, and that's probably because, you know, the Super Nintendo was the thing at the time. Uh, it didn't sell as well, but it was still, you know, well-received. Um, and at the Nintendo Power Awards, they awarded Kirby, like, the best video game hero of 1993. All right. That's I think that's awesome. what, what I think that's what the category was. Yeah, the Game Boy went way strong for many years. Uh, so I imagine people just continued to pick up classic, you know, entries for it. Yeah. Yeah, so what else do you think there is to say about Kirby's Adventure? I feel like we have been kind of approaching this game from the perspective that, like, our audience maybe already kind of knows what it is. I guess I'm sort of assuming that people listening to a Kirby podcast might already, like, know that, okay, this was Masahiro Sakurai's follow-up to Kirby's Dream Land on the Game Boy. Kirby's going through different worlds, trying to get the the Star Rod back from King Dedede. I think the first one being the setup where it's like, how do we use enemies, you know, creates a foundation in which like how Kirby's going to like approach who he has to deal with in a level opposed to like a Mario or a Mega Man or something. He uses others abilities against them or their, you know, themselves as well. And that sort of still branches out in adventure, but it just has all this more like greater flourish and the abilities just add such variety and they would be further evolved in Superstar in a way to provide like even more action. And it's just really nice. Like it doesn't seem like it, it like it does seem jarring that one game suddenly has this thing and another doesn't, but it, it really is not too far or odd of an evolution from that core idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've, you've got Cutter, you've got Beam. Uh, mm-hmm. got sword, you know, you've got all these just core powers that will be Kirby staples. So where would you put it looking back over, not that games have to all be pitted against one another and not that everything has to go in a tier list or anything, but like, where does it stand for you in the pantheon of Kirby games? I'd, I'd probably <laughs> put this one kind of in the middle somewhere, maybe, but sort of upper middle, maybe. Yeah, I think I would agree there. Yeah. Uh, I would disagree. I would put it very, very, way up high. <laughs> okay. <sorry. laughs> uh, but that's fine. I, I understand. Uh, I think my evaluation for games is just like things that to me have a lot of impact. I'm just like, and I kind of still marvel at till this day. I'm just like, that, that, has, that has to go on top, you know? <laughs> I think, oh yeah, like in terms of like impact on like, Kirby history and even like video game history as a whole if we think about everything Hal has continued to do and you know it being sort of an example of like Iwata's sort of early leadership at Hal and stuff like in terms of that it is like you know top tier classic game Um, I guess I was just thinking about like you know if I just had all the Kirby games like at my disposal just kind of on the table and it was like which one do I want to play like how likely am I to go to that one over another one um Um, i think for me it would still be high but that's also because i do play this one like kind of regularly now and then i'll like do clips or challenges or whatever in the game on the nso version uh so i still like it so i don't know for me on my personal list it's still it's still high (laughs) (laughs) that's totally fine (laughs) a little i don't know I don't know if it's bias or what. I don't know. I think it's legitimately good. It's like one of those things where sometimes, like, I guess folks 
who who talk about gaming might have like an older game like Mario 64 like still fairly high on the list and it's like yeah do other modern Marios beat it in a lot of sense it's like yeah but also it's Mario 64 it's going on the top of the list like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like it's Kirby's adventure it's going on the top of the list for me <laughs> I totally understand that yeah, like, I don't want this podcast to be too much about, like, is this good? Is this bad? Or whatever. Because I don't think that's necessarily, like, the right way to approach even yeah. just kind of art in general. Um, yeah. No, I like that. Um, I I agree. I think, I, get, I guess if I was thinking outside of myself, like, for me, I put games kind of high that I also, like, think for the most part are, like, not just important, but... I don't know there's something defining about it to the identity of like what i love like kirby it's like it just feels like yeah this is good so i put it here um but i think if i was to introduce someone to kirby like would i give them kirby's adventure as the first game probably not like <laughs> you know unless they're like real into retro games i'll be like well yeah check out one of the best nes games it's kirby's adventure um, but otherwise, I might, like, suggest, like, I don't know, like, Return to Dreamland seems like a good one for, like, someone new to Kirby to get, like, an idea of, like, how Kirby feels currently. Um, something like that would probably be better. Uh, but, yeah, I, I you know, I, I agree in that sense. Yeah, I mean, it's a question that it's, like, the answer is more of a personal thing rather than it is any kind of objective. You know, the game's merit is not on trial or anything. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's just about our own experiences with it. Um, I think it yeah. says something. I was telling you before we recorded this how, like, when I was replaying it again on um, the Nintendo Switch Online, like, I made it like to the final boss again, um, and I had beaten the game before, um, and then the game like glitched out and crashed <laughs> for some reason um, in the middle of the final boss, and then since I hadn't last saved until like the fifth world it took me back like almost halfway through the game again oh, no. and i think it oh, says something God. about the game that i still feel like going back and finishing it even yeah. after that happened um. <laughs> yeah it's it's at least not a daunting game to like go back and replay mm -hmm. uh i think that's what kind of helps some of these older like kirby games too is sort of this pick up and play nature where like you can just come back to a level and you know it's pretty chill Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to find all the big switches that open up the other mini games and hidden doors and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really like how later levels also in Kirby's Adventure get like, I don't know, there's like this interesting, I don't, I don't know if I would say it's like level storytelling or what, but like, there's this cool thing where you're going through the different worlds in the game and they look great and you have amazing different settings like that level that's all like airships or like mm -hmm. like butter building and things like that but i like like when you get to rainbow resort or like the final world like the worlds kind of get more weird and surreal and i kind of like that that as you're approaching the fountain of dreams things sort of get like kind of weird gravity is kind of shifting and you're like kirby gets sent up or down or whatever um but then it leads up to like the final stage is just like this like beautiful like reference to the original dreamland it's just like the first area of like the original dreamland it's all in black and white too and it's like oh it's sort of like this memory that the player has and is it like is it because this is like 
getting closer to the fountain of dreams this is dreamland is this like just you know i mean there's a lot of ways you can read it i'm sure it's just fan service but because it's sort of comes after all this stuff and then near the end of the game it just feels like this really cool thing uh to like experience uh and it must have been exciting at the time if you like i was a big uh you know dreamland fan so i feel like if i had played this right after uh you know in order i would have been like oh my god like (laughs) it's that thing from the other game (laughs) uh it's really cool it's i i do like i don't know it is a great experience i think um i do like all the thought that went into things like that yeah, well, I think that that's a good note to end on then. Of course, if people want to learn more about Kirby's Adventure, like you mentioned, there are some great interviews with the developers at the time um, that you can look up translations of. Um, Sakurai has talked about the game on his YouTube channel. There's like interesting assets in the game that weren't used that people have since found. Um, and there's also really interesting illustrations too about powers that weren't used in the game, like the ability to like, uh, shrink down in size, which is something we saw later on in Kirby and the Amazing Mirror. Um, there's one to create blocks, and I don't know how that one would have worked, but but who knows? Maybe we'll see that in a future Kirby game sometime as well. Because actually, I think that was maybe used in um, Hal. Also, did these like adorable po- like box uh, like puzzle games, like these uh, Box Boy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you played those. Oh yeah, I played one of the Box Boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he kind of generates boxes. So I wonder if that Ooh, idea sort yeah, of yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. That's a good point. <laughs> I find that there's like things like that Sakurai has talked uh, in the video or like it's written, you know, there's some kind of info that <laughs> it must be like the old HAL doc- documents or something where it's like later gets used in modern games. Uh and it, I wonder if, like, the block is kind of like that. There's also the thing where originally he wanted Kirby to to maybe use his tongue to grab enemies, and that didn't get used to end the game, but that did get used for Gooey in Dreamland 3. Uh, so <laughs> just, like, things like that. Kai, that can be a, a picture inspiration for you if you want to <laughs> do a Kirby scene of a giant, disgusting tongue coming out of his mouth and grabbing something. <laughs> If if not for for the for your own account for us. Oh yeah. Just for you guys. It'll be an exclusive. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's Kirby's adventure. Um maybe not quite as good as the incredible crash test dummies. Um, <laughs> but I guess they are incredible. Um but definitely a fantastic game, paved the way for the future of Kirby, and still super fun to play today. Um, so let's head into our second act now, um, where I thought we could talk about what we're looking forward to in the new year. Um, so games I'm looking for forward to this year, probably the peach game. Um, cause that looks absolutely adorable. Um, I'm excited about, Ooh, well, <laughs> part of me, uh, fingers crossed is hoping that they put, um, Twilight Princess and Wind Waker, uh, or yeah, Twilight Princess and Wind Waker, um, on the Switch, so we, I can finally have stop having to take out my Wii U because it's driving me crazy. So I'm actually fingers crossed that they're gonna announce that randomly. So that's like a, 
looking forward to possibly <laughs> if it happens. Um, man, I'm like spacing on games, the other games besides like Nintendo ones. Well, I should say besides games, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting to travel more um, uh, this year, either with my job or just in general. Um, so that's something I'm looking forward to. Well, I should say the biggest thing so far. <laughs> nice. Do you have particular projects you're excited about? Um, I have some new video work I'm getting ready to do for Good Smile. Um, I'm doing something uh, cute for Nintendo um, this month. So those are the two things I'm looking forward to project-wise. Um, I have a few things like Zelda props and stuff that I'm like in the middle of finishing and like 3D printing and painting. But like my goal either this year um, or part of it work on this year is I want to make the King of Red Lions ship to fit Toon Link. I'd have to maybe like 3D print it in pieces, but uh, that's like the one big project I've been wanting to do for years. And I think I'm finally going to try and do it this year. Ooh. That's awesome. That would be amazing if you can pull that off. I know. I really yeah. hope I can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I should say when you pull it off. I didn't mean oh, to yeah. apply that it wasn't yeah. going to happen. I just mean. It's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to probably print it in segments because I don't have a 3D printer that's that that will print that big in one piece. <laughs> nice. So are you like designing it yourself or are there no, like templates you use? Um, so there are tons and tons of different artists on Oh, there's like my mini factory. There's, uh, I can't remember the other ones. Um, for people who make digital, like 3D files uh, to print on a 3D printer. And a lot of people like will either build them, uh, build them and like you can buy the file from them. So these artists create these really awesome like sculpts of things that are unique uh, and you pay them for it, but you print it and do all like, you, you know, print out the figure, um, you paint it, you can do it, you know, however you want. So yeah, I don't design them like that. I just print them blank and hand paint them. <laughs> cool. Well, neat. Yeah. I'm sure there's, there's tons of things out there, right. That people have. Oh yeah. Have for the sure. recipes for, if you know where to look. And uh, Bridget, what are you looking forward to in 2024? Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh... There's a lot, I guess, but also, I don't know, it's, it's overwhelming and I don't know the future, uh, but it's exciting. Uh, obviously there's the matter of the Switch 2 that's possibly going to be announced. Oh, I forgot about that. So we'll see. I was going to wait to maybe get it and not buy it at launch because I'm so like, I'm I have a plethora of video games. Like if video games stopped being made tomorrow, I could live off of what I have. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, there's just still like, if they, you know, announced a new Mario at launch or Metroid or something, it's going to be so hard to hold on. That's how, they, <laughs> that's how they get you every time. Cause you're like, it yeah. launches with it. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I would like to see that. I am interested in the Princess Peach game. Um, I imagine the house still has work before they drop their next big Kirby game. And oh, I would yeah. like them to take their time. Because if Forgotten Land is this good, I can only imagine, you know, where they could take oh, 3D exactly. Kirby. Yeah. So they can take their time. I'm not rushing. Um, 
but things that we'll probably know at launch would be like maybe a new Mario, the Metro game that they, they announced, um, things like that. Um, so I'm excited for all that. There's still the Elden Ring, uh, DLC, uh, that's supposed to come out. Um, uh, the Princess Peach game, yeah, I'm still excited for that. Uh, and I don't know what else. There's, I think the Switch is sort of simmering down, so a lot of what I'm getting is sort of just games on sale and things like that. So, so a lot of backlog. Oh, so. I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> just looking forward to, I guess, playing what I have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like the things I'm looking forward to are like things that I just have already had. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Tekken Eight. Um, that was the oh, other yeah. one yeah i knew you guys yeah, you guys yeah. should have gone first because you guys were like reminding me i was like oh yeah that was a no i am i'm so behind on that sometimes it's like unless i see like an article about it or like watch the actual like presentation of it i will miss like little games or like miss huge announcements but i'll see everything else and then this, this will happen I'm like oh yeah i completely forgot tekken 8 was a thing so <laughs> Yeah, I liked Tekken 7. Like, I've never gotten, like, super, like, deep into a Tekken game before. And I've I've only played the first one and 7. Um, but, like, I actively follow fighting games otherwise and am otherwise very into them. Um, and so I, I, I feel like maybe Tekken 8 will be the first one I really try to, like, not get, like, super good at or anything. But, but really try to be like, okay, I'm really going to learn this. On a, on a level maybe beyond just like very casual play with friends or something and get see, to know that game yeah. on a deeper level. See, that's how I was with um, Super Smash Brothers Brawl. It's probably the only fighting game that I legitimately like held little tournaments at my house with like my friends. It was always the party game when like people came over. And so like I, I you know, trained as it were, like got good at it. Um, and then once I got older and didn't have as much time, I have lost my touch. So <laughs> I, I know what you mean about like wanting to actually like get good and like, you know, learn all the little combos and stuff like that. Yeah, and then I, I recently got a Sega Saturn. Ooh. And, like cool. I'm kind of looking forward to exploring that library more. Um, it's kind of an expensive system to collect for. Um, so I got the action yeah. replay, which is like something that lets you go beyond the region of your console. Um, oh, that's and nice. it has a really good Japanese library because it was more popular in Japan, and there's just a lot more that came out for it in Japan that didn't come out in the West. It's uh, it's funny. My um, my friend uh, is in Japan right now. He's the one that's been like help like tutoring me when he can, like teaching me Japanese and stuff. But he's over there. Um, till June and he was just he's always sending me pictures every day of like just the amount of like retro console stuff that they have and it's so cheap it like makes me sick like it's not fair like how cheap it is to get like really rare consoles um for like nothing <laughs> uh it's pretty brutal I used to when I was in college like I was broke uh because I was going to college so like <laughs> I couldn't get a new PlayStation. I like I loved games, but I couldn't get like the new console. Uh, so I went back to a, a used game store in my town, and I bought myself like a Dreamcast and SNES. And every now and then I'd go get like a cartridge. Like I got Met Super Metroid for like fifteen bucks or whatever. Uh, see, I got like a Dream. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> That was like back in the day and it was like it used to be the inexpensive hobby of folks who gamed 
couldn't get the new thing or just wanted to go back and play the games they grew up with and then and it's so sad because those stores you go into now and it's forget it you go in just to look at the games oh yeah <laughs> well what happened was is it like online when instagram started getting big and people started streaming and stuff on youtube that's when it like turned into like retro collecting and it was like a treasure hunt for finding like the best deals on retro game stuff because um i I used to be like very much in that community. Um, I'm not as much now. Like I still collect like when I find certain like Zelda items that are hard to find that are a good price or like Kirby games or stuff like that. Um, I'll still collect stuff uh, here and there. But like a couple of my friends um, that do like a retro page and he was talking about the same thing. He's like, man, back when we did this before it was popular, he's like, you'd see like, you know, Ocarina of Time or you know, Majora's Mask or Mario 64 for like, in like a box for like $3 a piece. <laughs> and I know I was like, oh, it's like, that hurts. That hurts me. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Cause now, cause, I missed that. Yeah. Well, cause like now even out of box, like the gold Majora's Mask still sells for like $40. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I kept my copy of Kirby's Dreamland 3, and at the time I was like, this game is so expensive, I can't believe this guy wants 30-something dollars for it. What a... Yeah. <laughs> what a cat. Yeah. And now, now the game is like over 100-something dollars or more, and it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I feel like scalping kind of took that over because it really was... Um, a couple of times I did do like little retro game... Um, like hunting things with with uh, my friends it was really more of a like a community of just you know people that appreciated the the games and like weren't doing it just to like make a bunch of money they were fellow collectors so like they would trade stuff like it was really really neat and then once like you know people started getting wind of it and were buying a bunch of whatever and selling it uh you know, for three, four times the price, um, especially with like collector's editions and stuff like that with video games. It's just it's sad. It's kind of taken the the spirit out of the whole collecting scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it uh, definitely shot up during the pandemic. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, not that we're fully out of it yet, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, once everyone was at home, it's like, well, what can you do at home? You can play video games and you can order things on eBay Yes, and be the first mm -hmm. to to order something. <laughs> you can you can get into fights in the uh, the parking lot over Pokemon <laughs> cards. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, that's what I was doing. I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> Getting into these street brawls. Goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, should I we wrap that. it up there? Yeah, yeah, this is good. Thanks, everyone. It was fun to revisit Kirby's <laughs> Adventure with you. Um, and we will be back again in two weeks with another episode. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. 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 Kirby Conversations is a production for me, Sean Douglas, Kai, Captain Dangerous Parker, and Bridget. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe in your podcast player for a new episode every two weeks. For Kai's photography, Bridget's video game content, and regular updates about this show, you can also follow us on social media through the links in the episode description. Our theme music is the song Winds of Change by Megan Kello in a new arrangement from Duncan Pixel T. Smith. And our show art is by DJ at drawing underscore lemons with a Z on Instagram. 
Kirby Conversations also has a Patreon, where patrons can receive bonus content, deleted scenes, and other rewards, including games and merchandise. There's even a free tier for everyone, and we hope we'll see you on there too. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back again soon with more Kirby Conversations. So, like, what are some of your favorite powers to use in Kirby's Adventure? Ooh, um, oh, wow. Oh, uh, uh, the ability, I think it's called throw, or <laughs> it's kind of like pre-suplex. Uh, it's just you grab the enemy, you can throw them against boxes to break them. Uh, it's just really funny. It's funny and it's fun. And there's some, some kind of humor to seeing, like, Kirby grab a waddle d and just, just like yeet, just eat him <laughs>